Keycard presents Back Issue Bloodbath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Padula Neal. Painting the heroes we know and love. This is Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Padula Neal. This week, we return to another creator spotlight. It's been a while, I think. Maybe a month. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a creator spotlight. It's time to talk about a creator. And uh, the creator we picked this week is uh, an artist who, for the past 30 years, has uh, kind of given a totally different look to the big two, to the Marvel and DC universe, showed it in a way that for years fans didn't think possible and probably was the first artist to really give uh, precedence to photorealistic art. And that is Alex Ross. A uh, man who has painted probably almost every character in the Marvel and DC universe and as well tons of original characters and tons of characters from the pulp era of, uh, of comics from the 30s and things like that. So there are so many characters he's painted, which is very impressive based on the fact that he's painted them. He hasn't just drawn them, he's painted them. So takes an even longer process, I believe, to uh, get that kind of look, that photorealistic look in uh, the painted medium, definitely. We've talked about Alex Russ stuff on the show here before. What are your thoughts of him as a visual storyteller? I do find the element that is most consistent is either the perspective of whoever are the heroes kind of looking down or of your every person looking up Mm. so and i i think of those two approaches i do prefer some of the storytelling where you have your like little little guy um who's affected by the world around them as and as they interact with things that our heroes are dealing with or the outcomes of that and the way I think it's because you can do more with the faces of a regular joke than the faces of our heroes. Our faces are heroes, like his his beautiful painterly style. They're carved out of granite, almost inflexible, almost in a way. Whereas when you see the faces of a crowd during a battle scene or somebody who's scared for themselves or their family or enraged for whatever reason like their reaction to what the heroes are doing. Like that's where his style, especially because he does do so much um, work and research into basing things on like actual faces and facial structure and even like lighting. That's where I find you get the most like emotion out of his art. Mm. And that's what I do. Like, obviously he's known most for like the shoulders, the biceps, you know, I love a thick thigh, all of that. (laughs) A lantern, this man never met a lantern jaw he couldn't paint the heck out of. But it's the faces of so-called normals in contrast and conversation with our heroes, regardless of uh, what universe or publisher. That's, I think, where you get the the most interesting stuff. Like the kind of the old man on the farm stuff or, you know, little guy on the street stuff looking up as disaster reigns. That's what I love about his style. Right. No, and I get that because you, you brought up the, the fact that his heroes look like they're carved in granite. And sometimes that is a detriment to his storytelling style because they look like posed photos as opposed to 
moving characters throughout a universe. Like his Superman is always kind of like standing gallantly looking off, looking off into the distance. And it's like, yeah, that looks really cool, but it looks like somebody told Superman, Hey, I'm going to take this photo, look off into the distance and think, you know, as opposed to the characters living within the universe. And the smaller characters you mentioned, I think probably one of the best works he's done to this day is still Marvel's because it's mostly people on the street and it's mostly people acting normal. There's not a lot of like superhero poses. When the superheroes show up, they are posed because they've been photos taken by uh, Sheldon from that story. The common man still works for him, but his heroes are almost a bit too iconic within the context of a story. But we'll get into that because it wasn't always the case with him. The main thing about Alex Ross is that he says that if you look at a lot of his stuff, his stuff never looks like what's the current brand of something. It's always like, what's the classic look of something? Because he wants to capture the classic essence of the character. He came into comics at the end of the 1980s, beginning of the 1990s, when pretty much almost every character at the big two, at DC and at Marvel, had a costume redesign for a short period of time. And a costume redesign that didn't last and they'd go back to the classic. And so because of that, that kind of has influenced Alex Ross to be like, well, the classic, the way the character is first perceived, or the way the character first becomes popular is the essence of the character. And that's what I want to capture to show to the audience. Great example of that on one of his Black Panther covers, where in a way it's kind of reminds me of the Stephanie, oh, all the black heroes are together. So it's like Black Panther's in the foreground and you have almost every other black kind of Marvel character on that as well. And the version of Blade that you see, who's not that big, looks just like Wesley Snipes. It is like sometimes he draws things with sort of like if you think of like a default Ross face, but when he does make it look like a person, it always kind of looks like a version of whatever actor or iteration of the property animated or live action that is sort of the most iconic. Right, right, exactly. And so his first actual published work was in 1990, five issue miniseries. It was a licensed book for now comics. It was The Terminator, The Burning Earth. So that's the first thing that uh, that he drew. And his first thing for Marvel was actually a short story in a science fiction anthology called Open Space. It was the fifth issue, and it never came out because the uh, anthology was uh, canceled after issue four. But it got him in the door at Marvel. Got his foot in the door at Marvel. And it actually introduced him to Kurt Busiek. And Ross had this idea that he wanted to retell the origins of all the big classic golden age Marvel heroes in one shot stories. And this was rejected. So Busiek kind of helped him create like, what if we create a story where you can do that and show off these classic characters, but from the eye of the common man, give it a different kind of feel. And so I think Busiek put that together. And I think they had to do a couple of pitches. I think it was like two different pitches and they eventually got it greenlit and put together probably one of the biggest Marvel stories of the nineties. Like when it comes to longevity and sales, because of course the nineties was a bit of a shit show, especially that 93 to 95, 96 area 
where everybody was just throwing stuff at the wall because comics were huge at the time. People, the speculator boom, people were just trying like, here's new redesigns of this, here's new Chromium covers, here's all this sort of stuff. So to have a book that A, looked classy because it was painted, which was something that was not popular at the time, and also looked totally different from everything on the racks because it was retelling the origins from all the way from the 40s to the 60s, it popped. It stood out there. And it was kind of like the book that put both Ross and Busiek on the map. And that led to two things. Number one, Busiek and Ross going, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this with characters we created? And so Kurt Busiek started writing Astro City, and a lot of the initial character designs were done by Alex Ross, but of course the artwork inside was done by Brent Anderson, but all of the covers done by Alex Ross and a lot of the character designs. And then on the other side, you've got Kingdom Come, which is basically DC going, we want you to do a Marvels for us. And once again, him having an initial idea, which was pretty solid, but needing a bit of tweaking. So unlike with Marvel, where it was like Ross and Busiek found each other at DC, it was DC editors who suggested, hey, we have Mark Wade here. He knows everything about every character, so you guys could work together. Brought Kingdom Come, and it was probably the biggest hit that he had in the 90s, like bigger than Marvel's in sales, because now he's, as an established guy, the sales were huger. I still prefer Marvel's to Kingdom Come, and I think it's the thing you said about the the common man, because in Kingdom Come, there's only one common man who's seeing it. It's all through his eyes. In Marvels, while it is Sheldon that is the main narrator and everything, we spend a lot of time with regular people, including regular people in the Marvel Universe. Like, there's a whole issue that basically is kind of like a love letter to Gwen Stacy, and it's probably one of the best Gwen Stacy stories I've ever read. So, for me, I prefer Marvels, but of course, we talked about Kingdom Come on here. It is a very strong story. How about you? Which one do you think speaks to you more same same however i often when i'm shopping for new stuff i will 100 percent just judge a book by its cover and at kingdom come cover it slaps it's like an all-timer whereas i love the look of marvels the covers are definitely much more like the storytelling inside it's more intimate focused on like what's going to be told within that issue kingdom come is just straight up take your best $200 plus statuettes, whatever, line them up on the counter and take a picture. Like it's that, like it's that yeah. kind of energy. And if you were looking for something that at a time when people were thinking of, you know, everything from Beanie Babies to comic books is something that I want to collect, something that I might want to frame like that cover alone, even if you're not into the story, I could see why the sales would be the way they were. In addition that he already sort of proved himself with previous things. And that was his velvet rope, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, you know, control amazing album. Velvet rope was like the one that is definitely just to be clear. <laughs> Janet, Jackson? About Janet Jackson. Okay. Okay. Yes. That's what I thought, but I wanted yeah. to be sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Velvet rope, all timer. Yeah. No notes. I would recommend for somebody who maybe is just entry level to still go with Marvel's over Kingdom Come though, because Kingdom Come is, it's not as accessible. Right, right. It is very ensconced in the history of the DC universe. It's kind of like, while it takes place in the future, it's commenting on the past of DC and also commenting on the state of 90s comics. So that's kind of like an interwoven kind of like under the surface storytelling 
that, yeah, is it's a pretty high concept to just come in on on Alex Ross. Yeah. Whereas Marvels is a great primer in general. Yeah. For, I'd say a good third of our big Marvel characters that we still see the most often today. Yeah, no, totally. Definitely. And again, Kingdom Come was huge for him. Shortly after that, he'd do a miniseries for Vertigo called Uncle Sam. Not as accessible to the general public because, you know, you have to be willing to admit that, hey, yeah, the, the American ideals are not what they should be sort of thing. And some people don't like doing that. Some people go, you know, I just read comics for entertainment, blah, 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 sort yeah. of thing. In an industry that has been often used to legit advertise for recruitment into the military, having a whole theme that the military industrial contract is, is like sus. Like, yeah. I, it's so cheeky. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> Love this for him, but like, definitely, like, you're not preaching to a full choir here. Mm. Yeah, and it's not your fault. Like, literally, these books have been used to recruit yeah, yeah, children totally. yeah. into the army. Yeah, yeah, comic yeah. books have been a gateway into the military-industrial complex, totally. Yeah, um, child soldiers, Charles Xavier and the actual U.S. military. Big fans go. of it. There yeah. you go. <laughs> and for those of you at home, she got it in. But anyway. <laughs> but during this time in the late 90s when comics were kind of in turmoil because the bottom fell out of the, you know, the speculator market and everything like that, the hardcore fan base was very much looking now not just at the characters but at creators as like these guys are rock stars to me sort of thing. And one of those people was Ross. Ross got extreme notoriety with like uh, not only his work in comics, but of course his work with, you know, like other parts of uh, the entertainment industry and stuff. But, you know, you had stuff like Wizard Magazine out there, you know, getting him to do covers for them and like promoting him in there. Suddenly he had notoriety and a name that is like, oh, this is the painter guy. There were other painter artists. Joe Jesco was out there and stuff like that. But he was the guy that was the superstar artist. And it's at this point where I feel like Ross's storytelling aspects take a back seat and he now becomes like pinups and covers guy and and character design so character be design, because yeah. his style is so labor intensive while i'm sure there's many of the books he did covers on he he maybe contributed character design and story structure and outline he might have wanted to do the whole book he just literally couldn't yeah no totally of course but yeah so like 1998 to 2003 he did the tabloid sized um big additions to celebrate the 60th anniversaries of dc comics characters so of course it started in 98 with superman peace on earth which is a it's a beautiful book it's a stellar masterpiece after that, he did Batman, War on Crime, he did Shazam, Power of Hope, he did Wonder Woman, Spirit of Truth, and then he did two Justice League specials. By the time he got to the Justice League specials, one which was very short, which was just the origins of the characters, Secret Origins, and one which was a bit more of an ambitious project, uh, Liberty and Justice, which was, as I believe, like, it was probably about twice as long as the other tabloid-sized books he had done with Paul Dini. At this point, though, with the Justice League stuff, it very much felt like he was doing style over substance because of the fact that he took so long to get his stuff out there and everything like that, that he was just working through. And to me, it really, I noticed it once he started doing the mid-2000s Justice League posters, where he basically did all of the characters of the Justice League as single posters and then put them all together as one big poster. 
at first glance, it's like, oh, cool. It's not express thing. But when you really look close, this is the first time where there isn't a lot of like differentiation between the character's faces and like he has one man body and one woman body and uses it for all of them. And it's like, I get it. You do your stuff from photo reference, but maybe bring in a couple of different models for you. So we get a little bit of a different style. It's at this time when he's at his most popular, because of course the kingdom come figures start coming out and everything like that. But I feel like when it comes to his artwork, it's probably the least dynamic and interesting. At the same time, he's, you know, he's now embarking on not straight up writing. He's doing some plotting. He plots together with Jim Kruger, the X stories at Marvel. And this again is one of those things where it starts out really strong and then kind of degrades in quality. They do Earth X, which I remember when that came out, he did all the covers for it. He plotted the story. Jim Kruger wrote the, the dialogue. And uh, I can't remember off the top of my head who the artist was, but it was a photorealistic artist. They just weren't a painter. I know that there was a couple of points where he was going, where this artist was going a little bit behind schedule. So Ross would step in and do two or three pages and would ape the style of that artist. So people didn't even know it was him. And that was cool. That first story, Earth X, where it's like the watcher is having this conversation with X-23 saying, you have to be my replacement. And you have to help, you know, follow what's happening in the world. In EarthX, it's kind of, it's the future. Everybody's gotten superpowers. It's become, that's why it's called EarthX, because everybody's basically a mutant. It's kind of like, there's the have and have nots. There's a wasteland sort of feel to it. There's like a world war. All that stuff is happening. A lot of stuff is going on. It's really interesting. And in the back of each book, it was a prose written story by Ross, where it's an ongoing conversation between the machine man and Uatu the Watcher about kind of humanity. And all of that was like, I'm reading and like, this is, this is poetic. This is beautiful. And how does it end? Cliffhanger into pick up universe X. And I was like, fuck you. It's like, you got this really poetic story. You're not going to give me an ending. I have to pick up a whole other uh, mini series. So then universe X led to paradise X. And by that point, the story had gotten crazy where now people were trying to get into heaven and heaven in heaven. You think that everybody that's not in heaven yet is actually dead and you can't die in in heaven and the punisher is trying to prove it by shooting people and i'm like you guys really got away from your original like you were talking about some deep shit and so i feel like while he's probably the most commercially successful in the 2000s this is when he's doing his least interesting work oh i also wondered because medusa who uh, we all know what happened with the inhumans tv show um medusa looked great yeah. in the beginning and that's a character where whether it's ross himself or somebody who's working with him on character design it was one of the first times that it was like oh this hair looks like it could do stuff on its own <laughs> yeah like it was such a great integration of all of these different characters that only recently they are now allowed to use in all of their properties i some of the ways things went off the not off the rails but sort of drifted i wonder if there was like any sort of finger on the scale behind the scenes it's like oh we're gonna promote this and not promote that and use this and use that and we're trying to like not sell as much of these because we're focusing on the things that we can do more with in the movies i don't know and maybe that's just you know tinfoil hat nonsense the things that i did like were almost like it was almost giving first draft krakoa okay because especially the whole paradise and the dying and whatever stuff like that was where it's like I don't know what you're doing here. Like, if this is an idea that isn't fully coming together, but 
later on, a lot of these elements will, but in a very different way, but more contained mm. in a story that's sort of cleaner, but arguably just as sprawling because you're involving all of the mutants and then other yeah. people's reaction to them. But yeah, I was just looking up the artistry. So on that, it was Jim Kruger's the writer, John Paul Leone. John Paul Leone, uh, yeah. Yeah, Bill Reinhold Inc., Matt Hollingsworth Color, and Todd Klein Letter on the the beginning of the Earth X stuff at least. So the style yeah, was nice in that it was not fully seamless, but it definitely blended. Sometimes his covers are it's almost so discordant because his covers are so like I would frame this and then the inside is whatever that artist style is. Whereas mm. here it definitely there is a through line in kind of the visual approach, but still obviously produced in a way that they could keep pumping these books out at a speed that he would not have been able to if he was doing all the art himself. Right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. And I kind of feel that during that time though, because of the way things finished up there with with the Paradise X and with, you know, the the massive marketing DC was doing with his artwork that I think he got bored and despondent. And that's why he, in 2008, you know, kind of started to work with non-Marvel and DC stuff. You know, he went over to Dynamite Entertainment, did the Project Superpowers with, with Jim Kruger, who, of course, he did the, the X-Books with. And he did, like, a weird deal with Marvel where it's like Dynamite Entertainment got to produce his story about the Avengers and the Invaders crossing over one another, like the Invaders from the past. So Captain America, Namor, and the original Human Torch coming forward into time and facing off with the Avengers. And all that stuff, it was almost like, it was like him going, okay, I want to do projects that interest me. I don't care if they're going to be huge sellers. And that led to him doing a book at Dynamite with Kirk Busiek called Kirby Genesis, where Dynamite had gotten the rights to some very early on, non-big two characters that Jack Kirby had created. And so they went, hey, go nuts. So of course, Alex Ross teams up with Kerbusiak because again, Kerbusiak, encyclopedic knowledge and works very well with Ross. The two of them are kind of like on a good wavelength. They can tell good stories together. And it's the first thing that they've done. That's been a big, like a big job, like a full, like top to bottom for 17 years. So Marvel's happened 17 years before that. Now it's like, this was their chance to get together and tell, you know, stories about Silver Star and Captain Victory and Galaxy Green and Tiger 21 and the Nymph Man and all that sort of stuff. Of course, it's dynamite, it's obscure characters, does not sell, of course, to the level of that. In fact, to the point where you think people would just gobble up an Alex Ross thing, but a lot of people didn't even know it existed. So he's, he's kind of like, he had like a long running deal with dynamite. And I think for him, it was just more like it was fun because it's like he got to do covers for a lot of the pulp characters that dynamite had bought up. So it's like the green Hornet, as I mentioned, the Kirby characters, the bionic man, which of course he probably loved the TV show from his younger days, Lord of the jungle, the spider, which was a classic Kirby character and stuff like that. And I think he was probably very excited during that time to actually get to play with those classic characters yeah and i think if he probably had it to do again just based on the amount of work he's been doing the last few years on his own youtube channel to talk about his process and promote uh the titles that he's most excited about mm -hmm. i think he definitely would leverage the other ways through social media because he already has that cachet he already has a following it's not like some of the new artists that are starting up and you know he doesn't need to necessarily ask for like you know a tip or you know go to my patreon or buy like a commish like he has like his website is like selling stuff like even just straight up covers it's not cheap yeah uh but in order to help things sell 
because he realizes I get to draw more of this if this sells more. Yeah. yeah. Like he's definitely taking more of a proactive approach in those titles. But side tangent, uh, one of your favorites, Friendly Boy Matt, he did do a couple covers for Spider-Man and Daredevil. And I was wondering what you thought of those because the the Daredevil on those, it's definitely more giving typical Alex Ross, which is almost like a more of like a battling Jack Murdoch than like, <laughs> this is the guy that's, you know, adorable lawyer by day and, and crushing puss by night. So he's he's definitely thick. He's, he's better with the Spider-Man body, I think, because he lets Peter just be like a young thirst trap. And even in Marvel sort of like mocks Peter for just being trash. When he doesn't know he's Spider-Man, like the Peter body is great, but, but your boy, your boy's looking thick. Like I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not mad at it, but I just wonder what you thought. Cause you're like the ultimate daredevil person. That I you know what? I, I remember those covers. I, I did pick up that Spider-Man Daredevil miniseries back in the uh, early 2000s. No, I thought they were fine. I didn't think they were the best rendition of Daredevil. I will say I do like a recent rendition of Daredevil because like as the, the years have progressed, of course, he's still been doing covers for Marvel and he's been doing, doing tons of other projects out there. He, of course, he's worked with the Academy Awards. He's worked with Time Magazine. He's He's worked with a lot of people. He's done some covers, a lot of Captain America covers for Marvel and things like that. One of the projects that he did in recent years is that Marvel asked him, like, we want you to do a mural of like all the Marvel characters. And he was like, oh, so basically what you, what I did for the Justice League in DC. And they're like, yeah, but we want it. We want even more. We don't want just the Avengers. We want, we want all of them. And so his approach on this was interesting to me. And it shows how he sees Marvel and DC as two very different worlds. Cause if you remember those DC covers, those DC one shot posters light everywhere, tons of color, very bright. You can like, it's like they're basically, cause again, they're on white backgrounds. It looks like he went into a studio and like he was the photographer for it. Like that's how they look with these, because the way he sees the Marvel universe, cause in his mind, the Marvel universe has always been kind of like the, uh, the seedier kind of feel that people remember from the seventies and eighties of like that kind of like these characters exist in the real world. So they have to, you know, reflect the real world sort of thing. They're all really cool, like slightly mired in shadow and stuff like that. And man, his daredevil for that looks cool as fuck. It's like, to me, it made me go as a fan who kind of felt that, you know, throughout the mid 2000s, he was phoning it in on some of his looks to see his looks here. I'm like, oh my God, yeah, he is capturing the essence of these characters to a T. And so like seeing stuff like that was like, okay, so he still has like a strong affinity for these characters. But for me, even more so is the project that he had come out this year. Fantastic Four full circle because this is a gamble. He decided I'm going to do a graphic novel with this uh, company called Abrams Custom Arts, which has a license with Marvel to do a treasury style hardcover graphic novel about retelling one of the Fantastic Four's lesser retold stories about them going to the, the negative zone. And he didn't paint it. He decided I'm going to do it just hand drawn and inked and colored and he still handles the colors and everything but he's, it's not painted and instead of using photo reference this time i'm gonna build models. little sculpture little models of each of the characters so that i can pose them and everything like that and so their outfits yeah yeah well he's because he was a 
as a kid, he loved Mego figures. And so these are like basically like him creating his own personal Mego figures of these characters. It brings a totally different look to his work. And I know a lot of people, like he even talked about it himself on his YouTube channel. It's like, this is a gamble because a lot of people might look at it and go, why don't you just do the thing that you're good for? Because he did the only other like really well-known hand-drawn, not painted work that he did in the past years is that he did like a follow-up to Kingdom Come, a one-shot, which was all about his father. And when he presented to his father, his father said, why did you do this? Why don't you do the thing you're known for? People love your painted stuff. Why did you do this? And so to do this with the Fantastic Four, which people think of Marvels, they think of uh, Kingdom Come to see this is a gamble. But the dude should do more fucking hand-drawn stuff as well because it's fucking amazing. And he and said- the, the colors and everything, it's giving love letters to Kirby and Dick Like, it's just, it's... It takes everything you love about his painter style, but then it's giving homage, but elevating it. And And amazingly, it has a bit more detail than his painted work. Yeah. His painted work looks like the Photoshop, like, hey, we got the models looking good type thing. This actually shows a little bit more of like, you know, here's some age lines and things like that, which you don't see in his painted work that I just, it jumps off the screen. And he says that he hates drawing backgrounds. He said that he drew all the figures first and then would draw in the backgrounds. These backgrounds look pretty fucking good. Like if that's, if that's the way he draws something he hates, man, like that's, he's still showing a lot of love. <laughs> and you know, his, his, his history of drawing fire, loving drawing fire, including mm. uh, Johnny and Torch so much that I'd be slightly concerned about the history of, you know, small pets <laughs> around the neighborhood growing up. Well, the neighbor's house burnt down again. It must <laughs> yeah. have been that Ross boy. <laughs> yeah. It is literally just, he goes full ham on Johnny in this. And it is beautiful to see in this alternate style. Yeah. He actually also goes full ham on Reed as well. This is the most stretchy I've ever seen Reed Richards probably in anything. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, And uh, Sue's facial expressions, like often she does sort of in some of his earlier stuff. It's just giving Grace Kelly face. Yeah. Grace and- Kelly face. And like a lot of like, a lot of the looks of Reed and Sue in Marvels were based on he had he had his parents pose for those. Yeah. And, and while the hair is still it's this is a teased out shell. Uh, this is straight up like it's it's half January Jones kind of like right, season right, right. one and two madman the hair the face she's giving more face like definitely we're seeing more expression more animation in the different expressions like when they're in peril uh versus when she's with the kids at the end like he's doing her a better service than i've seen her done mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, definitely so it's quite an exciting ride and kind of has started uh in my opinion like i hope a lot of people pick this up because it'd be interesting to see this new chapter of alex ross's career if he started to do a bit more, you know, pencils and inks as opposed to paint it just to see what it, what that world would be like for an extended period of time. It's just so pretty. Yeah. yeah. Now, one thing that's undeniable about Alex Ross is that he kind of kickstarted a craze back in the nineties is that because of the success of Marvel's and kingdom come like Marvel decided to hire a bunch of painter artists and do like one shots and miniseries and stuff throughout the nineties. It never sold as well. It's kind of like Alex Ross's style was so much so that it wasn't just the painting. It was like people were like, no, no, we picked this up because we like the way Ross does it. And so there was a failed kind of like attempt to make painter comics a big deal. But it just kind of became like, no, people like Alex Ross. That's who they want when they want painted comics. 
And so it's interesting to see somebody who kind of kicked off a craze, but also was proven to be the exception and not the rule during that craze. Yeah. And, and I think it is very much even the ones where he is part of, if not writing the story, at least part of the character design. It is such a visual and mental departure sometimes to go from that painterly style to like the inside is very just regular, regular, very flat, mm. sometimes talking heads in a panel. Uh, so I do feel like that's the other challenge. You can't just like throw a painted cover on something and hope it will sell. You need to have some kind of influence right. of that style or that perspective or how like the physicality of the character is going to be carried on throughout the issue. If you're new to Back Issue Bloodbath, I suggest you go back. Uh, I think it was probably about six months ago, so probably about 20 episodes or so. We did an episode on Kingdom Come. Definitely check that out. We had fun with that. And uh, yeah, definitely check out Alex Ross's work and um, upcoming there's going to be a special back issue above of myself and Adam Sakura going to deep dive into Fantastic Four Full Circle, the hand-drawn uh, Alex Ross story from Abram, Abrams Comics Arts and Marvel Arts. So stay tuned for that. But for now, we must bid you adieu. This is the end of this episode. But Tula, where can people find you? At initiative.com on Twitter at Obesakantawit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-I-T, and here with you. And of course, you can find everything I do over at geekcardshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at geekcard. Follow this very show on Facebook at Backstreet Bloodbath, where we post the new episode every week. And if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. And when you once you've done that, also just you know go out, find someone that you really admire their opinions on things, and let them know about these two opinionated people that have. Some pretty cool opinions on things. This has been Back to Your Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. I've been Petonio. Have yourself a good...